heart to match his. Even when my heart wandered away, he remained true with his unrelenting love. Because of him, my heart is full. He knows me. He has always known me. And this is the greatest love story ever told. Because he pursues me. great morning of worship. Good morning, church. Good morning, and what a great day. Welcome back to our series, God's Pursuit of You. And man, I'm so excited about this series. It's our Easter series as we're building up to next week and Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday morning and celebrating God's goodness and God's grace and God's incredible, incredible love for us. Now, we said last week is this, is that our world tries to sell us so many times a cheap imitation of love, right? Our world tries to sell us this you know, kind of romantic love, and we all like romantic love, and it's good, but, but our world will tell us that that kind of love means there's no problems, there's no struggles, there's no difficulties. You know, we grew up watching Disney movies, and everything's perfect, right? You got the prince, and he rescues the princess, and they go off to a castle, and birds bring them little things, and they live happily ever after, and we're like, okay, yeah, maybe that's how it works, right? Or we watch, you know, romantic comedies or romantic movies or just like, oh, it's just like fun and games all the time. It's great. Or we watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and we think, oh, that's how it works right there, right? And those really work out well, don't they? So, I mean, we kind of go, wait a minute. What is this? Because inside of all of us is a desire for real love, a desire to be fully known and fully loved, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be real, and to have a love that lasts. Not just last for a moment or a night, not just last for, you know, a few weeks or a month, but really last. A love that's real and deep and true. And where does that desire come from? Because God created us. And the Bible says God is love. It's who he is. And this is what separates Christianity from every other major world religion. Right? I mean, you go study world religions, you'll find that there's an impersonal or unknowable God, right? You're trying to do good works to somehow to appease this God over here. And yet Christianity shows us that there is a God who created us and a God who loves us. Warts and all. Mistakes, failures, and he's faithful. And he's there. And he loves so often we settle for religion, <laughs> but it's not about religion. It's not about religion. It's not about what we do. It's about a relationship. It's about what he's done. Praise God for that. It's about what he's done for us and drawing us back to his heart. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 as God created man for relationship with him. And, and God created man and Adam and Eve, and it was perfect. It was wonderful, and he put them in this garden, this great relationship and then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we saw the breakup. We saw as man said, forget it, God. We don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And I know you've given us all these trees, but, but we want that one tree that you said we couldn't eat from. I know we have all of this, but we want that. And sin enters into the world. And the brokenness of that relationship, and the heartache and the pain. But the good news of God's word is he doesn't give up. On us. He didn't give up on them and he doesn't give up on us. This is the greatest love story ever written. This is the greatest love story ever told. That's why the Bible is the number one bestseller of all time. It's the number one bestseller every year. Why? Because we long 
to be in right relationship with God. And when we're in this relationship, man, our other relationships make sense. And there's a God who's constantly saying, I love you. I care about you. And so in this series, we're looking at that. What does it mean for God to pursue us? What does it mean for God to draw us back to his heart? And next week, as we enter into Palm Sunday, we see the amazing gift of God's love. I mean, the full extent. If you're a parent, wow, giving your child. I mean, this is the full extent of God's love. But between now and Palm Sunday, what you find is the Old Testament. And a lot of people kind of shy away from the Old Testament. They're like, yeah, well, yeah I don't understand it all. I mean, that's the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is God drawing people back to himself. The Old Testament is God calling out people who are, who are prophets and saying, hey, go tell my people I love them. Go tell my people how much they mean to me, how special they are to me. Go tell them that I forgive them and I care about them. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It, it's real love. And so this morning, I want us to look at a book in the Old Testament that kind of is a summation of all the Old Testament, I think. And it's the book of Hosea. Hosea. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me there to Hosea. Hosea is this great, great book of the Bible. Toward the end of the Old Testament, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online with us at Version, And we're going to walk through this book of the Bible. Hosea is known as a minor prophet. Okay, that doesn't mean he's less important, right, than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. It just means his book's shorter. Okay, that's really what it means. I mean, but, but Hosea was a guy, his name literally means salvation. His name means salvation. He's kind of been called the St. John of the Old Testament. This guy has a tender heart. This guy loves well. And, and so God says, I want to use you, Hosea. I want to use you to communicate my love to my people. I want people to know who I am. I want people to know my character. A lot of times we want to fast forward to the New Testament, but the Old Testament shows us the character of God, shows us the heartbeat of God, who God is. And so as we see this, Hosea was a prophet about the 8th century B.C. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. Isaiah was ministering down in Judah in the southern kingdom, and Hosea was up in the north. He was also a contemporary of Amos. If you want to go back and look at some of uh, what Amos wrote as well, but Hosea was this guy, and, and uh, he's calling the people back to God. He was a guy who, who just had a tender heart for the Lord. Now, a lot of people didn't listen to Hosea's preaching, okay? Hosea's out there going, listen, I'm praying, and God's telling me this. And people were like, okay, whatever, Hosea. So God says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want your life to illustrate my love. So I want you to do something crazy, Hosea, but I want you to do this so that people will get it. And watch what God calls Hosea to do. Pick up here in chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Now, if you can imagine Hosea's like praying and going, Okay, God, I'm getting ready for Sunday. I'm going to preach. You know, it's going to be great. You know, it's like, yeah. And then God says, no, no, here, Jose, I want you to do this. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Excuse me? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to do? No, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Jose is like, are you sure? Yeah. That's what I want, because I want people to know what they're doing to me. And I want you to live it out. And I want you to love her faithfully. I want you to be there for her. Hosea's like, are you sure, God? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, go do it. So verse 3, he did. And he married Gomer. Okay. 
Not only is she a prostitute, but her name's Gomer. I mean, like, really? Like, come on, God. I mean, help me out. I mean, come on, seriously? So, so he married Gomer, right? Hey, honey, I'm home, Gomer. Yeah. Daughter of Didalum, that's not even much better. And she conceived and bore him a son. So Isaiah's like, okay, all right, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to marry Gomer, got the whole thing going. We have a child. It's all right, okay? Maybe God's showing that people are going to be faithful. Maybe God's showing that people are going to love. And then God says, hey, name, the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, that's your child, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Jezreel literally means God scatters. And so God says, okay, Hosea, I'm glad you did that. Now you're going to have a child. And Hosea's thinking, all right, it's going to be all right. It's going to work out. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. We're going to pastor. We're going to tell people about, you know, what God's doing and drawing people back to him. And, and then you go into verse 6. And it says, Gomer conceived again and had another child, except this time it's not Hosea's. And what you find as you keep reading is Gomer goes back to her life of prostitution. And she bears two more children. And she brings them back home to Hosea. And now Hosea finds himself raising three kids, two that aren't his own. He doesn't even know where his wife is anymore. And she's off doing her thing. And Hosea's like, really, God? And God's going, see, that's what my people do to me. That's what they do. They just run off. Yeah, I did all this for them. I brought them into this land. I give them all these things. I give them cities they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant. And they take off. Hosea, I want you to go buy your wife back. What? No, no seriously, Hosea, I want, you to go, I want you to go buy your wife back. Go to chapter 3. It says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lectic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and, and I will live with you. And God says, Hosea, go. Demonstrate my faithfulness. Demonstrate my love. <laughs> Go buy her back. Wow. Now, before we're too hard on Gomer, <laughs> don't we all do that? Before we're too hard on her, as the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And many times as we look at our own life, and God has done so much for us, hasn't he? God has done incredible things for us and yet so often our hearts push away from him and we fall in love with the gods little g of this world and we run after them and thinking that they're going to satisfy and, and then when they don't we turn around and come back to God and we stay there for a little bit and then we run back to the gods little g of this world and we think oh it's about money if I just have more, if I have more, then I'll be satisfied. And so we run after that, we run after that, we run after that. Or it's materialism, right? Or it's stuff. 
I just need a bigger house, I need a nicer car, I need this, I need this. We run after that becomes the goal and a passion of our souls and our spirits. And we run after this person, think when I have a boyfriend or when I have a girlfriend, then I'll be fulfilled, right? Or when I, I get married or when I get married again, somehow, then I'll be fulfilled. We run, we run, we run, we run, we run. And all the while, God's going, no, listen, find your worth in me. Find your heart in me. Find your value in me. Because I love you. Faithfully, I love you. God tells the people in chapter 4, what's their sin? Sin. We don't like to talk about sin a whole lot, do we? Well, but it's there. In chapter 4, he says, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, and stealing, and adultery. Now, if you notice this, what God is saying to the people, if you go back and look, it's about relationship, isn't it? He says there's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. A lot of times, we always kind of talk about religion, or we talk about what we do or what we don't do. And yet God is always coming back to the heart. God's always coming back to what's going on in here. Do we love him? And he says, there's no faithfulness to, you, to me. There's, there's no love. There's no acknowledgement of me. How often do we do that in our lives, right? We, we pray about a job and, and we go, oh, God, I need this, I need this. And, and then we get it and we don't ever stop to think, thank you, because we're off and running, right? We've got to get things done and we're going, we're going, and God's going... Hello, <laughs> you prayed about this, and I answered, and we pray about a relationship, and we'll, we'll pray, we'll pray, pray, and, and, go, and then all of a sudden it happens, and, and we get married, or we get remarried, or we have children, and, and then we get too busy to go to church, we get too busy to get, do anything with God, because we, we got all this stuff now, God, and God's like, whoa, we pray about a financial crisis, and we're praying, we're praying, and then God answers and blesses, and and then we just kind of go back to, to spending like we did. And God's going, hello. He's saying, where's the faithfulness? Where's the love? Where's the acknowledgement? It's about a relationship. Now, out of an overflow of the heart comes these other things, right? He says there's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. And we kind of look at that list and go, okay, well, maybe I'm okay there, right? <laughs> cursing. Okay, well, only when I hit my hammer, you know, with the hammer, the nail, you know, and I, okay, just every now and then, okay, God, you know, lying, oh, only every now and then, God, right? And murder, I don't do that one. I don't, I don't, I don't do that one, God. I'm, I'm good on that until Jesus comes along and says, if you hate anybody in your heart, then you've committed murder. You're like, ah, stop that, okay? Uh, what stealing, st I don't do that. And I don't do that until we try to steal the glory from God or steal the recognition or, or adultery. God, I, God, I don't do that, right? Jesus says, if you lust in your heart after a person, right, you've committed adultery. And all of a sudden we go, whoa. But all of those are an outward manifestation of what's really going on in our heart. All of those flow out of what's happening in the relationship. And when God is on the throne of our heart, all of a sudden our desires are different. Our dreams are different. Our hopes are different. But when we put ourselves on the throne of our heart, when we put ourselves or our arrogance on the throne there... It comes back to sin, and the outward manifestation are things like this. And we know that. See, here's the thing about sin. Here's the thing about sin. 
Sin never satisfies. If you go over here to verse 10 in chapter 4, here's what God says to the people. He says, they will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not increase because they've deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, to old wine and new, which take away the understanding of my people. They consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. It's like they eat, but they're not satisfied. Isn't that what sin does? It just never, you never have enough money, right? I've never heard anybody go, whew, I made it, got enough, done. You, know, I, you just never do. Even though we think it's going to satisfy, we never get enough. We never get enough, you know, recognition or fame or enough likes. We, we never get enough, but we pursue, we pursue. We never have enough stuff. We think, well, when I get in this house, it's going to be fine. I'm going to have everything I need. I mean, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tapped out, you know, but it never satisfies. There's always something else that comes up. See, here's the thing about sin. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It leaves you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. It's the way it works. And yet there's a God who's over here just drawing you back, going, come on, I'll take care of you. I love you. I'll provide. Find your love. Find your worth. Find your value in me. Find your hope. Find your strength in me. Come back to me. And God's constantly drawing us to himself. You see, what God is passionate about is this relationship. And there's a great biblical word, this biblical word called covenant. Covenant. Now what's amazing is when you go back and you study the Old Testament, right? As Adam and Eve sinned and, and they broke that relationship with God, and now there's a barrier because you've got a holy God and you have sinful man. God is the one who set into motion a plan to redeem mankind. And God called this man named Abram. And he said, Abram, I know you're living in this country, but I want you to leave your country and your people and go to a land I will show you. And I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And I will be your God and you will be my people. This covenant relationship. And, and this is amazing to me. But back then when you made a covenant, what they would do is they would cut animals in two. And they would put them on opposite sides and then you and whatever party you're with you would walk through those animals okay peter would never go for that i mean this is terrible it's like today but right then that's what they did back then okay and they would walk through together and basically what they were saying was this if either of us breaks this covenant may this happen to us and to think about the god of all creation entering into that kind of relationship with man and yet that's what god does now, for us, it's through Christ, right? That God enters into this covenant relationship. And so often we think, though, God's just mad at us. He's not. No, no, no. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is drawing us to himself. God is calling us back. God loves us. But we run after the things of this world. And the things of this world, they just don't satisfy. We get caught up in it, though, don't we? And like Gomer, we go back. Maybe, maybe today it's pornography. And just like they struggled with sex back in that day, man, boy, we struggle with that little God in our day and time, don't we? Guys, we're visually stimulated. We have to watch what we watch. And women are more emotionally stimulated. You have to watch who you're in a relationship with. It's good to have friends, but you have to watch where your heart goes. And why does God say that? 
Because he knows, what does pornography do? It erodes our capacity for intimacy. That's exactly what it does. It erodes our capacity for the real thing. And we fall in love with what is fake. And God's going, I want you to have what is real. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to have a relationship with other people that's real, where you could be authentic, where you could be vulnerable, where you could be yourself. Why? Because that's the way we're created. And God is not condemning. God is redeeming and restoring. Look at chapter over here in verse 6, chapter 6. God says this. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And what the people back then did is they, they started coming to the temple. They would go to the temple three times a year. Now, where you were, if you were a Jew, you were supposed to come to the temple to worship. And you were to bring a sacrifice. And you would go and you would offer that sacrifice. And they would offer the sacrifice. And then they would go back and live however they wanted to live. And they just thought, well, I did it, right? I'm supposed to offer the sacrifice. I can go do whatever I want to do. <laughs> and God's going, hey, guys, listen. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He says, it's fine to bring your burnt offerings. It's fine to come. I'm glad you're here. But I want you to have a relationship with me that is every day, that is trusting me, following me, falling in love with me, an acknowledgement of God. God, thank you. God, thank you that you put breath in my lungs. God, thank you that you put people around me. God, thank you that you provided for me. God, thank you that you take care of me. God, thank you, God, that I have food to eat, that I have clothes to wear. God, thank you that every day we can just wake up and say, thank you. I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that I didn't make all this stuff happen. I acknowledge that you are sovereign over creation. God's going, awesome. I'm glad you're bringing the sacrifice, but I just want you to acknowledge me and follow up. Look over in Hosea chapter 11. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the, the further they went from me. This is kind of a summation of the Old Testament, right? I, I mean, God took the children of Israel and they were slaves in Egypt. And God called them out of Egypt. I mean, they could have never overthrown Pharaoh. I mean, they were slaves. He has a huge army, and God, ten plagues, and God comes and redeems his people. He draws them back. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, those were pagan gods, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is one of the twelve tribes of Israel. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Do you hear these words? Do you hear the relationship that God wants with us? I love as God is, is giving us this picture. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. For those of you who are parents, isn't there something incredible when your child's learning to walk and you're, you're holding their hands and they're... They're trying to learn, you know, and they're, they're going, and, and then you start to let go, and they, they're wobbling, and they get it. And it's like this, yeah, go. 
And you can imagine God with his people going, I'm blessing you. I'm bringing you into this promised land. I'm giving you all this. And I want you to grow. And I want you to follow me. And God watching as David becomes the king. And things are great in Israel. And they're, they're loving the Lord. And God's blessing. God's blessing. And then what happens? Solomon becomes the king. And his heart is led astray. And he starts to worship these foreign gods. And God's going, no, I'm the one who taught you to walk. I'm the one who provided for you. Can you look back over your life? And see how faithful God's been to you? Can you look back of your life and just go, wow. God, wow. You're the one. You provide for me. God, I remember being in such a tough spot and tough place. And, and God, you came through. God, you brought me here. God, you, you blessed me. All the things around me, God, it's not me, it's you. It's you who have done this. And God says, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because I love you. Because I care about you. So you come to Hosea chapter 14, the last chapter, and God says, return, O Israel. This word return, it's really about repentance. It means you're going one way, right? And you return, you come back to God. And God's saying, you don't have to live in the sin. You don't have to live worshiping these other gods. Come back to me, Israel. In the Old Testament, it's God drawing Israel back to himself. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. And I bet if we're honest, let's just be honest, right? If we look back at our lives, boy, when we sinned, man... And maybe today we're still dealing with some of the consequences of that. And God's going, do you recognize that? Do you see that? <laughs> Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. God's going, come. Come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I care about you. It's not about condemnation. And so often we, we, we live like we think God's mad at us, right? Oh, God's mad at me. I, I blew this. I blew that. But what if we started to live with this confidence that God is for me? What if we live with this confidence that God loves me? God wants the best for me. God wants me to have a great day. God wants me to succeed in my marriage. God wants me to succeed in my job. God wants me to be a great parent. God is for me. And all of a sudden that just changes the way we live, doesn't it? Knowing that God is a God of grace and God of mercy and a God who is with us in the tough times and the hardships and the struggles. And God is there. You see, legally, Gomer deserved to die. Back then, the law said this, that if you committed adultery, the people in your village would take you outside and they would stone you to death. Now, stoning meant they would throw you off a cliff and they would throw rocks on you. And, and, and so legally... Gomer deserved to die. Legally, these two children that she had out of wedlock, they had no rights. Back then, I mean, they literally had no rights. They would be just out on the street. They would be gone, and they would end up dying. They, they had no... But what does God do? God says, Hosea, demonstrate my love. Demonstrate my faithfulness. Demonstrate my acceptance. Love radically. Love faithfully. Love.
If you look at verse 4, he says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger is turned away from them. And the good news today is, regardless of what's going on in your life, is this, that you can come back to God. That, that where we are, where we sit, that we can return to Him. And maybe we've been far from God, or, or, or maybe in our life there's just this little drift, there's this little deviation, there's this little thing that Satan's trying to get a foothold in, and God's saying, no, 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 don't let it get too far down the road. Come back. Come back and find grace and find mercy. And find love. Invest your life in what's really going to last. Invest your life in what's really going to matter. Hold on to me. See, I think we can all identify with the, the two main characters in this. One, we can identify with Hosea, can't we? We can identify that God has called us in our day and our time to, to share his love with others. And probably like Hosea, we're going, Man, I don't feel adequate. But yet, God, you've called me. And maybe for you, it's inviting somebody to church. Maybe for you, it's just telling somebody about grace. Maybe for you, it's having a spiritual conversation. But maybe for you, if you're married, you know what? Your marriage is actually supposed to be a living example of the way Christ loves the church. Your marriage should radiate to the world. It should be a living story. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as, Christ, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. A lot of times women are like, yeah, we stop right there, don't we? But no, the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on to say, husbands, love your wives. And the real onus is on us, husbands, to love our wives. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. How amazing to think that your marriage, my marriage, should radiate to the world the way Christ loves the church. Does it? Maybe in your life or in my life, man, it's an area where we got to say, hey, I want to grow. I want to grow in my love for my spouse. My love's so conditional so many times about what they do for me. And yet what I see is a God who is faithful and a God who is unconditional. I think we can identify with Hosea because I think we all have that call if you're a follower of God through Christ. But I think we can also identify with Gomer. And if we're really honest it's not just the outward things that we do. Many times our hearts are prone to wander. Or our minds, our spirits. The most powerful scene to me in this entire story is in chapter 3. Where God tells Hosea, right? Go buy your wife back. Can you imagine Hosea in embarrassment? Are you kidding? 
My goodness. But picture the scene. Gomer, who, who's been a prostitute, who's now lost all of her money, she's being auctioned off. And she's standing up in front of all these people, and the auctioneer calls, you know, Gomer. Gomer comes up, and she's standing there. And she realizes her sin. And you can just picture in your mind Gomer with her head down, standing there, her nakedness, her shame, her disappointment, and the hurt and the pain of her own sin. She won't even look up, right? Tears fill her eyes. Why have I done this? And the auctioneer begins, 13, 13, who will give me 13 shekels? 13 shekels. 14, 14 shekels. Who will give me 14 shekels? For, look, look at right here. Who will give me 14 shekels? For, 15 shekels. Who will give me 15 shekels? 15 shekels. And then she hears sold. Sold. And she can't even look up. But in just a moment, she feels a robe being put over her shoulders. And she hears a whisper in her ear. Gomer. I love you. Let's go home. Your kids are at home and they're waiting for you. Let's go home. See, isn't that what God's done for us? <laughs> the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we are still sinners. While we are still sinners. It's not that we get everything cleaned up and come to God, it's wow. We're still there. God comes to us to redeem and to restore and to make things right. I want to tell you, it's not an accident that you're here today. God has brought you here because he loves you. And he cares about you. And he's drawing you to himself. And he's pursuing you with his love. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you today? As you see this biblical story, where do you identify? Maybe today you just go, whoa. There's some places in my life where I'm starting to drift. <laughs> oh, God, draw me back. God, forgive me. Redeem me. Restore me. Maybe in your life today, you just say, you know, I don't know if my marriage is really reflecting the way Christ loves the church. Oh, God, help me to forgive. God, help me to love. God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Maybe today is the day of salvation. God, I'm yours. Yours, holy it completely yours. I want real love. <laughs> I do. Or maybe today God's putting somebody on your heart and saying, go love them. Love them. Oh, Father, here we are, your people today. And God, we thank you that you're a God of love. God, we confess that that often we don't even acknowledge you. God, you bless and you do so many things in our lives and we, we just go on. And today we want to stop and worship 
Today we want to stop and say thank you. We want to stop and respond to our God who loves us. So draw us close to your heart this morning, oh God. Speak to us today. And we respond back to you right now.